I am really excited about what I believe God wants to do in us through this message, even to the point where it might need some reflection and coming back in the significance. I feel like God kind of gave a, a revelation, an idea that has generational legacy implications for you, for your family, for your children, your grandchildren. And so we've never done something quite like this before. We've done something similar a number of years ago. But I think God's doing something that is going to bear fruit. And so even in, into the next year, something that we're going to return to probably in conversations, because I feel like it's capturing something that our culture just doesn't teach us to do well. It's all over the Bible, but it's, it's so different. The worldview of the Bible is so different from what we're taught every day in culture. And so um, bear with me here. We're, we're going to combine some things. We're, we're talking about Christmas, and we're going to go into some different passages in God's Word. But where we finish, I truly believe if, if your heart is stirred and God is speaking, no matter what age you are, you're, you're preparing yourself to have a, a generational legacy of of the active, living, real, personal, powerful, and present testimony of your life being passed on and shared uh, into the next generations. And there's truly nothing more important than that. As I, I don't remember which one of the wonderful Christian prophets of the last couple hundred years have said, but the idea that the church is always just one generation away from extinction. But I'd like to add to that, or revival. <laughs> so let's be the latter in the way we carry the legacy of what God has done in us, through us, to the next generation. So we're in a season of celebration. Emmanuel, God with us. As we enter into this Christmas season of celebration, we have some... <laughs> Two amazing for words reasons to celebrate. I want to just take us to the basic beginning of the Christmas story in Matthew 1. Read a few verses. I want to ask us as we read it to, to do your, the best you can in a way to posture your heart as, with that childlike wonder. We, sung, we sang about it today. Almost like you've never heard this before. Let it wash over you with good news of who God is, what God is doing, and a childlike wonder and appreciation. Matthew 1, 18 to 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And it's a quote of Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A little bit later in Isaiah 6 and 7, or excuse me, chapter 9, 6 and 7, there's a description of this same child who was born, and it's really clear that this child, God with us, is God himself. Listen to these phrases. Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Four names of this child, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Those are not names worthy of simply a human born child. Truly worthy of contemplation, reflection, celebration. I mean, this is, these are audacious claims by the Bible audacious prophecies that a child would be born worthy of the name mighty God that all of government the government of the universe would be upon his shoulders and of his kingdom there will be no limit to its increase this is Emmanuel God with us we are celebrating this season. So as we look into these amazing claims, amazing truths, we know them now to be through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. I always come to this season and say, how can we celebrate well? We're all very familiar with the Christmas season. How do we celebrate well? So let me back up a little bit and remind us, release us, give us the freedom to explore the holy activity of celebrating well. God loves times and seasons of celebration. He invented them. <laughs> I want to take us quickly to what I call the party chapter in the Bible. It's Leviticus 23. The entire chapter is about seven parties that God commands his people to have every year forever. He, in, in fact, in commands them to take vacations. And several of them are a week long. So when you step back, it's like, and actually see what's happening. 
God is commanding his people to live in these Sabbath rhythms of rest and gratitude and praise by stepping away from the normal rhythms of life, ordinary work, and have vacation time in order to party around who God is and what God has done. It's very remarkable. It's wonderful. So I encourage you to read Leviticus 23. Read it in several different translations. Catch the nuance of what is happening. It starts off in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals. Festival is a party. If you're a Spanish speaker, fiesta, festival. It has the same root. It's party. God invented them. Let that reshape your understanding of God for some of you. You need it right now. I've, I, like, when people say, oh, I'm going to go party. It's like, why does that mean I'm going to go have alcohol in our culture? That's one of the most kind of weakest and lamest things you could possibly do in order to have courage, right? Or fun. And, and yet that's the pinnacle of partying. And I get a little offended on God's behalf. <laughs> Say, wait, no, God invented partying. It's in the Bible. It's in the fun book of Leviticus. <laughs> and he's serious about this stuff. He calls them my festivals. They're mine. I invented parties for you and for us, for me. For, it's, it's, everybody wins. God gets glory as he deserves, and we get to live in a place of gratitude and praise, gathering the family together, feasting together, and on all of the goodness that's present, recognizing the grace of God all around us, we're giving God thanks and praise. Leviticus 23, 1 and 2, here we go. He says, they are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. In other words, here are my parties, which are sacred assemblies. They're holy gatherings. They're holy to the Lord. In even more simple terms, God's saying, get your people together. Gather your family. Take time as Sabbath, a week, a day, depending on the party. So it's take time off of work. Gather your family, gather your clan, gather your tribe, gather your people, your loved ones, and have parties in seasons of celebration to remember what I have done, how I have been with you. That's the connection to Christmas, where we're going. How I have been with you in your life, in your history, and therefore, you can be confident in your future. And so you can pass it on to the next generation well, which is always a challenge. You can see it in the Bible. When they don't pass it on well to the next generation, all heaven does not break loose. Fill in the other one. <laughs> so, Looking at these parties in Leviticus 23, the question comes up, so how do we celebrate well? What does God specifically say? And it's really simple. Through the festival, 
the one main purpose is remember how God has been with you. Remember what God has done. Don't forget what God has done to your own spiritual peril. The Feast of Passover is one of the festivals for all time. What is that? It's remembering the Passover and the Exodus that God freed his people from slavery in Egypt, filled them with promises to take them into the promised land. Remember God with you in your deepest, darkest moment in bondage, in slavery. Don't forget, God showed up and set you free. That's a party. Remember that and make it a party, God says. Seven days, that's the one. He's like, take the week off of work. Work, this is worth it. To remember God setting you free from your darkest place of slavery and bondage. And they're all similar. The Feast of Fruits, First Fruits, that is a feast to thank God and remember that He is our pro. If you have any harvest in your life, any provision in your life, remember your source. It's ultimately God. The Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Booths, they're all Israel's history of God with them. And so I pull from that the spiritual principle that all of these festivals are meant to be a certain type of Sabbath, a rest, a removal from the ordinary way, the ordinary routine of life, the ordinary work of life in order to gather your people around you and remember what God has done. Remember God with you. And you do that through a feast. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to be full of gratitude and praise. And so there was singing and dancing and feasting and telling of stories of what God did. I mean, the Feast of Booths, they're literally, God is having them act out what God did in their life. He's like having them do a theatrical play where they go and they live outside in tents for a week. Again, a week off of work to have a party, have fun celebrating what God has done. So they set up these little booths to remind them of the way that God provided shelter for them for 40 years in the desert. And how given the harsh elements of the desert, the food, no food, no water, how they should have died. But God provided manna, he provided meat, he provided water, he provided shelter. God was with them in supernatural ways to preserve and protect their life on their journey to the promised land. And it's so amazing to me, God, there you go, is like the master theater artist. He taught his people to act it out in remembrance of what he had done. The creativity there is so interesting. 
It's not a bunch of just rules and regulations. It's like, he's like, hey, I want you to have fun. Act it out with your kids. Build some little tents. Have a feast. Sing. Dance. And the whole point of it is to tell the story of, again of how I've been with you and been good to you so you don't forget and so that your children know who I am. That's the party chapter of Leviticus. I love it. But there's deep spiritual power. Remembrance leads to gratitude and hope. The discipline. God is building in rhythms into their life. Spiritual disciplines, so to speak, of these seven festivals. In order or because remembrance brings Gratitude in the present and hope for the future. And we actually see this all over God's word. A call to remember what he has done. You could have a fun word study with that word. Remember. Just click that into Google and there are so many verses that come up. And there's a reason. Absolutely, what it does is foster present gratitude and then future hope. Let's just read one. Psalm 107, 1 to 9. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east, west, north, and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty. Their lives ebbed away. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. That's just testimony. That's story. He said, they said, man, let the redeemed tell their story. When you tell your story, you tell the story of God with you, it's for you. What does it do? And then verse 8, so let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds for mankind. Remembering the story well of what God has done and practicing remembering the story of God with us fosters gratitude. And, and then it goes on to say, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. You hear in there a declaration of hope. This is who God is. You remember your story well so you can give thanks for he is the one who satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. That's a declaration of hope for your future. And so there's this discipline, so to speak, this practice, this intentionality of remembering God's past goodness with you in order to foster gratitude in the present and hope for the future. And you can feel it. If you spend some time, which 
hopefully most of us have done in this last few weeks, couple weeks of practicing gratitude in the, in the celebration of Thanksgiving. If you did that, if you did it well, I think it's spiritually impossible that you didn't then feel more grateful and more hopeful. If you remembered well things that God had did, has done in your life, how he's been with you, thanks overflows. And then as you look to tomorrow, you're like, wait a second. If God did it before, he'll do it again. He's faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Gratitude and hope get fostered with remembrance. But there's also a very sobering peace all throughout the Bible. That remembrance leads to gratitude and hope. We've looked at that. But it also protects us from rebellion against God. Where we turn our backs. So interesting that the simple fact of forgetting what God has done, not remembering well what God has done, can be a dangerous road down to where it's very easy to even unintentionally just kind of turn away our trust and hope in God. I forgot what he did. You're facing a hard time. You're facing a challenge, a crisis. And if you're not, if you don't have right in here quick how God's been with you, that's filling you with gratitude and hope, it's easy to not have gratitude and be hopeless. And when that happens, you are turning then to other sources quickly and easily. And, and, and that is the definition in a way of rebellion against God. Instead of being locked in on who he is, his promises, what he's done, what he's going to do in the future, you are not and you start to go to other things. Maybe for instant gratification or who knows what. Or worry, as even my wife mentioned today. Worry is rebellion. It's, you don't have the power. This thing's got a lot of power. Here it is in the Bible. Now, don't worry. We're all covered by grace, and there's good news coming. There's, a, there's hope. But, but we got to be sober. I mean, something as small as worry, if it's ongoing, is a, it's a turning away and a trusting in something other than God. So here's, let's go to Psalm 78, 40 to 43. Psalm 78, 11 to 17 also is really good and builds this up, but just for time's sake, we'll, we'll jump to kind of the conclusion. The point was in 11 to 17, they were forgetting all the wonders that God had done. They're forgetting. They weren't remembering. They weren't practicing remembrance. And the result, unfortunately, was this in verse 40. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. What? How? How did they get to such a place? They just saw God do the unbelievable miracles. Ten plagues. I mean, you talk about God fighting for you. God fighting on your behalf. 
to lift you out of oppression and slavery. It seems unconscionable, unimaginable. How could they forget? Well, it's right here. They rebelled against him. Why? Verse 42. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the hand of the foe when he performed his signs in Egypt. That's the deadly, the, the spiritually like dangerous, deadly power of just not remembering well. I mean, there's something to contemplate about this. It's like, wow, what an unfortunate dark power that the enemy has if we just simply don't discipline ourselves, practice remembering. We, that's a way of like unplugging ourselves from the, the power of God. Unplugging from who he is, what he's done, gratitude, hope in him by, by just forgetting so interesting that the, the rebellion in the heart begins simply by not remembering what God has done for his people. And then there's one that's even a little, little bit crazy, but it's the Bible. I accidentally came across it on my vacation, and it, it fits perfectly. So when you're offended right now, just remember God wrote it, not me. Here we go. Judges 8, 33 and 34. It's the same idea. As soon as Gideon died, so this was a judge, the people over and over, little context, in the book of Judges, over and over, God's people forget what he had did or done, forget God with us, and so they rebel, and they go after all these other things as their source of satisfaction, power, hope. And then when they realize, man, life is horrible without God, and they cry out to him, God graciously raises up a judge to deliver them from the hands of their enemy. But unfortunately, the pattern over and over, they remember and they, or they don't remember and they rebel. So here it is again. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals, that's the false gods, and the Baal Bereths, their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of the foe. That's crazy that the Bible describes rebellion as whoring after. If that word's offensive, don't worry. Other translations say prostituted themselves. <laughs> so you get to pick which one feels more comfortable when you don't remember and rebel. But there's actually like the way that God, but that even though as, as whoa that word is, it's a description of adultery from your lover. That's the depth of relational intimacy that God has created his people to have. So he sees and feels sin as adultery from him as our first love, the lover of our soul. And the word remember in this Gideon passage is so interesting. It's 
to keep in mind for attention and consideration. So there's a choice on our part. This is the same thing as the New Testament in multiple places that talks about fix your eyes on. What are you choosing to keep in your attention? Or Philippians 4.8, where it literally says, in the Greek, the, the implication is where it says, let your minds dwell on that which is beautiful, noble, good, honorable, praiseworthy. Where are we choosing to allow our minds to live? That's the sense of remembering. That is part of our responsibility in life. We can choose what we fix our attention on, our consideration on. That's remembering is where you're putting your mind, your memories, past and present. When we do not Keep in mind for attention and consideration what God has done in our lives. Our hearts begin to turn away, to turn astray, and seek after other sources for satisfaction, provision, and power. That's what the the tragic story, the tragic repeated theme of God's people in, in, in the Old Testament is. Instead of choosing to fix their minds, make their minds dwell on, live in all of the goodness that God had done, how God was with them, that will propel them to gratitude, keep them connected to God with hope for the future of who God is, they didn't steward that. And so they forgot. And so that when they got scared, they're like, oh, well, that, that little G... God over there is offering power or satisfaction or provision. Let's, let's, let's try that. And, and so there's, there's something, and I, and I don't mean to not be hopeful. I'm hope-filled, but sober, because it makes so much sense. Like, yeah, that, that same reality is now for me. When I'm doing a good job remembering what God has done and fixing my eyes on those things, telling the story well to myself, my family, others, then I stay locked in and even in really challenging hard times, I'm overflowing with gratitude in the present and true, real hope for the future. But if I encounter a hard time and I'm like, oh, what, what, what has God done? Oh, I don't really remember anything that God's done for me. I'll be in a real bad place real quick. Or I'm like, well, then I guess if God's not doing much for me, I'm going to go somewhere to, for this crisis to find comfort, peace, satisfaction, power, whatever. And so I, I believe this is, this is a, a, a reality of how we're wired in God how he's created us. This is part of our relationship to steward well as the lover of our soul. In some sense, is it that much to ask? The lover of our souls just saying, don't forget me. Remember me. Keep, call, keep talking about it. Remember what I've done. Tell, tell my story. Tell it well. Tell it over and over. It'll keep you overflowing in gratitude. 
and it'll keep you connected to the reality of who I am so you have hope for any situation. And then, if, we, if and when we do that, then we're living in that abundant increase of his kingdom expanding in our life. And that's where why I'm being real sober today, but there's so much hope. Because it's like, as we grow in stewarding this well, the result of remembering God with us is overflowing gratitude, like we looked at in the Apostle Paul last week, in any situation and true hope that our deliverer is coming in any situation. And so I want to encourage us to do something here. In this Christmas season that I believe for some, this is going to be the start of something that you then build on and will be part of a generational legacy that you pass on to your children. And it simply starts with celebrating the Christmas season well, which is a good thing to do. As we celebrate God with us, that is the essence of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. So it starts with a desire to just celebrate the Christmas season well, but I feel like God's saying, but you just kind of struck gold here. There's something that's so much bigger that I want to do. And maybe it's just for me and my family, but I think it's more. So here's the idea. Starting tomorrow or today through Christmas, if you would just do this, a daily reflection, a remembrance, a journal entry. It could be as short as you want. It could be a one-line sentence that maybe you come back to later. Here's kind of the title. We'll start with the title. It's almost like you're writing a book to yourself to God, to your family, and you could pass it on one day. And you can start now by telling those stories. Here's the book. Remembering God with us. Subtitle. Family stories of how God is personal, present, and powerful in our lives. This is exactly what God told his people to do over and over whether it's remembrance stones, you know that story when they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground, a miracle of God, and God said, okay, now each of the heads of the 12 tribes, you get a stone and you make a little remembrance over here, a memorial, so that when your kids ask, hey, what are those weird little rocks right there? You tell the story of God with us. And what you're hearing today is, as we tell the story and remember God with us, it invokes in us present gratitude and hope for the future. And if you can pass that on, like there is, I believe, nothing more powerful that you could possibly pass on to your kids than a living testimony. A testimony of how God has been real to you. At raising three boys. I am 100% convinced of that. There is nothing that will make their faith real more than hearing your faith is real. Not an idea, not an abstract theology, real. This is how God was with me. This is how God saved me. This is how God changed me. This is how God provided for me. 
This is how God renewed my hope when I was crushed. Whatever it is. And it sh as time grows, it's a lot. And here's where I'm getting that unction, that fire of, do my kids know all of my stories? If I die today, am I taking the living testimony of Jesus with me to the grave? Because that's the one thing I have got to pass on before I go. And so I feel like there's some power here of, of, of man, you, you want to, you, you know, they talk about making a living will and testament. Amen to that. You know, financially plan well. But the most important thing you could possibly pass on to your kids and grandkids is your living testament of Jesus in your life. And so I feel like there's something stirring of like a book project for all of us. And, and, and let's, let's talk about this. Let's work on this. Like I remember my kids, like when they were little and we'd have family dinners, one of the things that they, that was the most captivating time in family dinners is if I told a story. And so it became a thing. Tell a story, tell a story. And it would be telling a story about life, about youth. You know, and at their young age, they would try to be, they would try, try to like funny stuff and those kind of things. But there's something that's, that's God's party chapter right there. Gather your family and tell the story of. And so for these next few weeks, my, my encouragement, my challenge, and, I, and I'm kind of like, I don't even know where this is going to go all the way. I feel like God like revealed a little golden nugget and let's explore this together. But what if you spent this Christmas season as an act of worship, taking a little bit of time each day and asking these questions to prayerfully reflect back on your life and write down some key moments of your sacred history. And you're just asking God, just give me one. Help, help me remember one thing today. How has God's goodness and grace been evident in your life? How has God prepared you, protected you, provided for you, taught you, changed you, shaped you, blessed you, healed you, forgiven you, transformed you? That's all in your lift notes. They're all there. This, this kind of little guide. What if you just took five minutes as an act of worship in, in this Christmas season, honoring God with us and said, God, bring to mind, help me remember one thing today and just write it down. And maybe you'll get inspired and, and you want to just keep writing and you want to write the entire story. Or maybe it's just one line. I remember when God provided this. I remember when, and then you can come back to it. But there's something there that if then you go deep with that, I mean, think about what you could do with it for the generations. Think about if you're a grandparent and you are gathering in Christmas and you say, hey, everybody gather around. Let's turn off the phones for a moment. Let grandpa tell a quick story. I just want to sit, tell you a five-minute story of how God has been with us. What if you did that every time you gathered for Christmas over 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and it's a different story every time because of how much God's done in you and been with you? This is the kind of stuff that God was trying to build into the people of Israel that sadly they failed at many times to their own suffering. Because the next generation, it says in there, like, they, they didn't know God. They forgot who God was. And so you each have a living testimony. Go back deep. God, Holy Spirit, bring something to mind. I, I've done this before. 
And it, God took me back to when I was six years old and just remembering the presence of God in my house and accepting Jesus as a little kid thanks to the environment that I can feel even in this moment that is God, that my parents cultivated and church cultivated and the school I went to cultivated to where it's like I could feel God. And I can tell that in a story because it's the same now. So you just went with me. <laughs> there it is. And how much do you want to write? Up to you. Write a sentence. Or maybe you'll find that it's just such an encouraging, inspiring process. You might write a, a few pages. But think about the gold that you are excavating for yourself and for the generations. And let's work on together. What are we going to do with that? How are we going to pass that on to the next generation? Remembering God with us. Stories of the living God. There is something on that. I don't even know. We're praying. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are with us. You are with us. You have been with us. You've been with us because we can connect ourselves to the people of God. And it goes back several thousand years. You have been with us. You have been so faithful to your people, so good, so present, so personal, so powerful, such a lover. You just want that intimacy with us, that relationship that brings the soul alive through knowing you. So we pray that there would be a holy anointing this Christmas season on remembering you with us. And then we're just going to kind of open-handedly offer it to you into our future next year of then teach us how to steward this well to those you've brought into our family and friends and influence, Lord. To share the story, share our story as the redeemed of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.